Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Roy won't take no or no comment sitting down. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Military issues uh, this weekend. Tomorrow, we'll talk to the former commanding officer of Joint Task Force 2, JTF-2, and uh, the JTF-2 sniper shot and killed the ISIS terrorist with that 3,540-meter shot, 2.1 miles. Well, it was in the air for just under 10 seconds, the world record shot. And uh, Tom Mulcair... Mr. Mulcair, the outgoing leader of the New Democratic Party of Canada, is not impressed. I don't know what it would take to impress him. Tom's known to play a mean game of tiddlywinks, I think. With me is uh, Colonel Peter Mansour. Colonel Mansour was the executive officer to uh, General David Petraeus in uh, in Iraq. And uh, his book, he's written several books, the most recent is Surge, My Journey with General David Petraeus and the Remaking of the Iraq War. Colonel Mansour, uh, give me 30 seconds on uh, of, your, of your thinking on that, that shot by the Canadian sniper, 2.1 miles. You know, I read that over the weekend. I posted it on my Facebook page, and I put two words, Oh, Canada, exclamation point. That was simply astonishing. You don't know how hard that is. That, that bullet must have dropped at least 10 feet in the air uh, going that distance it's it's unbelievable that uh the skill that that marksman had and uh and he did it to save uh, the lives of uh, comrades on the battlefield so well done yeah um i was thinking you'd have to have a a phd in, in physics and be able to do it all in his head as he's calculating the shot you know um i'm sure that we have modern devices that could help him out but uh there is a lot of practice that goes into uh, these snipers uh, training, and uh, and he is clearly a, one well-trained uh, soldier. Let's talk about what's going on with North Korea. You and I have done this before. At least uh, you've provided us with insights, and here we are with the North Koreans ready to launch another nuclear test, and they also sent a 22-year-old Otto Warmbier back to the United States in a deep coma. Uh, they said after um, after some medical condition, he'd been sentenced to hard labor in prison after trying to steal a poster from a hotel wall. Now he's, uh, he's dead, 22-year-old. And North Korea says they're the ones who are being maligned. Do you think that the Otto Warmbier story is part of a North Korean strategy? Uh, no, actually, I think um, they weren't ready uh, for him to, uh, to have that sort of condition. Uh, they probably tortured him and thought he would recover, and he didn't. You know, uh, Otto is from Ohio, which is where I'm based, and uh, it's hit the state pretty hard. A lot of angry, uh, angry Americans down here, and no love lost for uh, North Korea or its regime, that's for sure. But I don't think it was um, part of a strategy. I think um, rather than have him die in in their captivity, they, they released him, um, and, of course, he died shortly thereafter. Right. I should have mentioned that you're the General Raymond E. Mason, Jr. Chair in Military History at The Ohio State University. Um, another nuclear test, Colonel Mansour, by the North Koreans. 
Are they trying to provoke um, a limited war of some kind? They have a, a huge military. They clearly have nuclear capacity, certainly in a regional sense. Do you think they're trying to provoke a war, thinking that ultimately China will stand by them? There's something... I mean, who can possibly read the mind of um, that little guy who runs the country? Kim Jong-un. I, yeah, I think there's a couple things going on here. Uh, one is uh, they are trying to miniaturize their, their nuclear devices to be able to put them on, on top of a missile. And so these tests are uh, probably a deliberate um, attempt uh, to try to advance their, their craft in, in making nuclear weapons. The other thing, though, North Korea has done ever since the 1990, early 1990s is they use these sort of provocative tests and missile launches to force uh, uh, the United States and our allies into negotiations, which then they exact concessions, whether it's in the form of food aid or other concessions. Um, and then they uh, calm down for a while, and then they ramp things back up when they want more concessions. And so this is, this is part of a deliberate strategy that they use uh, but it's a dangerous game they're playing right now. Well, last time we spoke, I asked you uh, whether war was possible within 48 hours. The dynamics of, of the time, and it was about two, three months ago, led people to suggest that possibly war could break out within a matter of hours, and you didn't discount that possibility. I'll ask you in a broader sense, given that we don't know I don't know how much the military planners and the people who investigate psychologically who these leaders are, but given this this new Korean leader's penchant for odd decisions, is war possible and is a limited regional nuclear war possible with him? And then question two is, or part B of it is, if that scenario hasn't been entirely dismissed by war planners, is there a contingency in place to attack North Korea with nukes, if necessary? I think the answer is yes on all three uh, points. The third, the, the actual plans, I'm not familiar with, so I, I can't answer for sure. I would be astonished if there weren't plans on the shelf uh, to attack North Korea to destroy its nuclear program, given that it could potentially pose an existential threat to the United States and Canada, for that matter. Um, the uh, the likelihood of war really depends on the comfort that the Trump administration has with North Korea acquiring a nuclear uh, a device capable of hitting a, a West Coast city. Um, if they're they're comfortable with that scenario and they think that Kim Jong Un can be deterred uh, by the threat of uh, regime change, then um, then we might not. Um, have hostilities, but if the Trump administration decides that they don't want to take a chance of an unhinged dictator having a nuclear weapon that can hit San Francisco or Los Angeles or Seattle or Vancouver, then um, they may decide to strike uh, when that when the capability when North Korea appears to be close to getting that capability or crosses over that threshold. And this is what makes this particular moment in time so different from the 1990s and the 2000s, because it was highly unlikely in those two decades that North Korea would have a missile capable of hitting the United States. But um, now it looks like it's uh, very, very possible within a matter of uh, uh, months or years. And would there be any other way 
to attack them effectively and destroy their nuclear capability without attacking them with nuclear weapons. Um, yeah, we have a lot of conventional uh, firepower that uh, properly employed could uh, potentially take out uh, their nuclear facilities. But, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how, how deeply buried they are underground and how hardened they are. Um, and it, it's tough to say. And there's a lot of diplomacy to play out before that happens. Right. Uh, pressure via China, pressure via additional sanctions, uh, perhaps even uh, cyber warfare. Of course, North Korea is using cyber war against the United States and the rest of the world, for that matter, um, already. And so there's, there's a lot of other tools that are going to come into play before we get to the uh, edge of war. But war, again, is certainly possible. And Colonel Mansour, you can't have this um, this maniac um, threatening the world. He's no pun intended. He really is a loose cannon. And if he has uh, a military with a, a million members in the military, and within just a matter of a few miles, you've got Seoul, South Korea, with a population of over 20 million people. This is very, very serious business, and he's not going to be allowed to, he can't be allowed to continue the way he is. Well, that's that's right there is the tough thing. If you want to strike North Korea, uh, take out its nuclear capability, take out its uh, missiles, um, they can retaliate by using conventional artillery against Seoul and kill a lot of people. At that point, we would be into a full-scale war, and the only outcome of that would be regime change in North Korea. Um, of course, that would leave several million people dead, lots of refugees flowing over the border into Canada, into um, uh, China, and um, and potentially uh, Japan hit as well. So it is not a great scenario in any uh, conceivable uh, future, but it's one that we have to face, unfortunately. And how would the threats of North Korea and all the parameters you've explained to us in the last 10 minutes, how would those compare, as far as danger is concerned, global danger is concerned, to the jihadists and, and ISIS and al-Qaeda, which one uh, poses the greater threat, or are they equal? Uh, it's, th- th- we have there various fronts uh, in this world today where there's real, real serious concern. Well, by far, North Korea poses the larger threat in terms of the number of people that could get killed. Uh, I think that the jihadists have a greater capability of attacking the United States or Canada or Europe uh, with terrorism, but those terrorist attacks, is, as horrific as they are, only kill dozens, maybe hundreds of people at a time. Unless the jihadists were able to get uh, a weapon of mass destruction and employ it, uh, they will always be uh, a threat, but not an existential threat to the West. North Korea, on the other hand, uh, with uh, nuclear weapons and the ability uh, to deliver them via missile to the west coast of North America is is an existential threat, and it, therefore it's in a different category. Colonel Mansour, I always appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thanks so very much. Always a pleasure, Roy. All the best. Uh, Colonel Mansour's book is Surge, My Journey with General David Petraeus and the Remaking of the Iraq War. Keep your eyes on what's going on in North Korea. When we come back, we're going to talk to a snowflake, and it all has to do with a listener to this program, name was Bob, who sent an email 
that was reacted to by women uh, formerly with the RCMP. Actually, some are still with the RCMP and some are formerly with the RCMP. We'll talk to Catherine Gallerford. Don't go away. You'll want to hear this story. And for some odd reason, no, I'll, I'll I'll let Catherine tell that story. We'll come right back.